Galatians chapter 4. The end of Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you are, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What happened is we have a church in Galatia that had simply were pagans. A lot of them were pagans. They didn't know the Lord. They were out there worshiping false gods. And Paul came and preached the gospel that in order for a man to be made right with God, in order for a woman to be made right with God, in order for a person to be made right with God, right? What needs to happen is simple faith simple trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. No offerings could be made, no sacrifices could be made, no days could be kept, no rituals could be kept. In the case of uh, this, this church, you, you didn't have to go back under Jewish law and be circumcised in order to be made right with God, a faith in Christ, and keeping the law of Moses and all these things. And so Paul is addressing a heresy that crept into the church. That a person is saved simply by faith in Jesus Christ is what he is defending. We had teachers coming in who were Jewish in nature and background, people who had supposedly come to Christ. But they came in and said, that's great. It's wonderful you have faith in Jesus. Now you need to be circumcised. Now you need to keep the laws of Moses. You need to hold all the festivities, all the days. You need to do that. So it's a Jesus and. And Paul says that is not a gospel at all. That is not something that saves a person. And so that's the big emphasis of this whole book. What saves a, a man? What saves a woman? And he says to these people, because they were, they were saying you had to go back under the Mosaic law, and we'll talk about that, the Ten Commandments and all the, five, or the 600 other commandments that came about, you had to keep those in order to also be saved. He was talking to that specific group. And so he goes back and he says, well, let's go back before Moses, the person who gave the law, who went up on, everybody remembers Charlton Heston? Remember how he went up the hill and then he came down in this glowing white beard, right? Moses, right? Exodus is coming out, right? And then theaters, I have no idea what that's about, so I'm not promoting it, but that's the book, Exodus, where you find Jesus Importing the law, God imparting the laws to mankind and to the people of Israel. We have the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch that follow that in Leviticus. Remember, everybody follow me there so far? Okay, cool. He's talking to those people who would say, go back and follow those laws. Well, he goes before Moses and he goes to their, their actually their forefather, to Abraham, 645 years before the law of Moses was given. So he go ahead. He jumps past Moses. He goes, oh, well, let's go before the law. If you say you have to go before the law, let's go to the actual, the, the, the head guy, Abraham, whom everybody says is their father. Let's go to that guy. Let's talk to him for a bit. And what he does is he draws the case that before the law, before circumcision, Abraham, how was he made right with God? By faith in the promise by faith in the promise. And so he just jumps, he bypasses their whole argument about the law and goes straight back to the original guy and says, remember Abraham, how was he made right before God? How was he saved? Was it by the works of the law? Was it by keeping a set of rules? Was it by obeying these things? Or was it simply believing 
the promise of God. And this is the promise. It says back there in Genesis, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he was justified before God. What does justified mean? One way of saying it is just, made just as if I'd never sinned. Right? That's an easy way to remember, but it also means declared innocent. How was Abraham declared innocent? Through faith in the promise. Abraham, if you remember, how old was he? He was like 90 years old. And his wife was 80 when God first came to him and said, hey, I'm going to give you a promise. The promise is through you, you're going to have a son, and through your offspring, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but 80, 90 years old, that's like pretty far-fetched, would you say? So it didn't come about until he was 100. But Abraham didn't blink an eye. He just trusted God that he would make it so. He trusted that he would somehow, he didn't know how, and that's his faith, he just trusted what God said, that through he and Sarah, his wife, they would have a son, and through him all the nations would be blessed. And what Paul gets at is that it's not Isaac, it's who was descended through Isaac, Jesus Christ. It was that offspring through all the nations that would be blessed. And that's the big picture he's getting back. Faith in that promise that the world would be saved from our sin through Jesus Christ. He looked forward to that promise. We look back on that promise. And that is how people are saved, simply by believing that Jesus, his very name means Jehovah saves, God saves. He died for my sin, for your sin. Believe it or not, for this little child's sin. I'm saying we are all son and daughter. How cute, you know, and cuddly, right? Let me ask, you know, as, as a parent, Marcus, are you having to teach your, your children to, uh, to obey or do they naturally obey? <laughs> we are naturally berserk, aren't we? Yeah, we just kind of go, yeah. And so we're going we're to talk about it a little bit. Jesus came to die to redeem us from our nature. And so as he's talking to these people, he goes, if, if we're saved just simply by faith, not by me obeying a bunch of stuff or disobeying, but just by simply trusting in Jesus Christ, if that is how a person is saved, then what in the world is the point of the law? Why would God bring the law if a person was simply saved by grace? Why did you do that, God? Why would you do that? And if you look in chapter 3, Verse uh, twenty, uh, verse nineteen says, "What the purpose? What in the world is the purpose of the law?" In chapter three, nineteen, it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom is promised referred had come. Until Jesus Christ, the law was in place because of sin. The law, God put the law in place for the people of God, for the Jews, because they were extremely sinful. Believe it or not, the people of God were sinful. Were they not? You, anybody here a person of God and find yourself sinful? He put it in there. It says in Galatians 3.19 that the law was added because of transgressions, because of sin, until Jesus Christ had come. And, he's, and this is what we're going to focus on today. But it says the law was put in place because of sin until Jesus Christ had come. What does that mean? Does it mean that the law nullifies the previous covenant? Does it negate the promise? Does it make the promise of, that he gave to Abraham? obsolete because a new covenant came? You, you buy a car, you still owe money on it. You buy another car, does that negate the first obligation you have? No. Say, no, it's not. 
they're not in competition with each other either. And so he says the law was put in place because of sin. What does that mean? It's not put as a substitute to follow it in order to be saved. No, the law, to, uh, the law did not take uh, the place of the first promise, and it can never take away sins. Rather, it was given to restrain and reveal. And if you're keeping notes, I have R's for you, two R's. Restrain and reveal. To restrain us from sin and to reveal sin uh, and to lead people to faith in the promise of the forgiveness of sins by the Messiah Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 22 says that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Every person is a sinner by nature. In other words, it is not something we necessarily learn. We get better at it, but it is just in within each of us. You know, we, uh, we came from San Diego. Uh, you know that. And in San Diego, in North County, there's a place called the Wild Animal Park. I don't know if you heard that. It's a wild animal park. It's pretty neat, and they let animals roam supposedly wild. Uh, they don't really let them roam wild. They give them a, a space that is bigger than a cage, right? But if you want to go view the animals, what's awesome is you walk up to this big glass encounter, and on the other side of this, you know, three-inch barrier of, of whatever kind of glass that is, probably a tank couldn't get through it, there is a 500-pound creature with teeth and stripes and, like, giant, it could kill you, right? There's a tiger on the other side. It's awesome. He's, like, right there. He's like, his, his face is against the wall. <laughs> I mean, he's, you just go, wow, this is huge. And, then, and here's little Ruthie. She gets there next to it. Hi, how you doing? Isn't that wonderful? Why is the tiger behind the glass? What's its nature? It's a tiger. You take away the, the glass, and what happens? Yes, Ruth, Ruth, baby Ruth. It, she's a snack, right? It's gone. <laughs> in a similar way, we have a sin nature. We have a sin nature. The law of God is like that glass, he's trying to say. The, the glass that restrains us from our true nature because we're destructive. Now, what we're going to find is there's a duality in the law that it not only restrains us, but it also reveals that who we are. If it wasn't for the glass, we wouldn't know that we were dangerous, so to speak. What I really love about the law is that it is like that glass. It says, verse 23, it says, before the coming of this faith, before faith in Christ, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was come would be revealed, locked up until the one who could actually change our nature from the inside out, not rules and conformity, but could actually change the nature of the beast, would come, give you a new heart, make you a new creation. And when that happens, what happens to the tiger? You can bring him to Walmart, and everything's good. You can put him in your car, try to get him in your car. He could come with you, he could go into daycare. And kids could cuddle with it, play with it, and hop on top with it, right? We don't see that, right? But that was the purpose of the law, to restrain God's people on one hand, to restrain God's people. You know, when we were, it's just, when we were just, we just went to Spokane, and I won't throw my wife under the bus, but we were driving up to Spokane, 
And isn't it, everybody knows, how much, what's the speed limit between here and, and, uh, sorry, Christine, between here and Pasco? Oh, gosh, you guys know the law, don't you? Let me ask you, how fast do you drive? (laughs) Wisdom. 60 what? Anybody drive 60? Anybody drive 59? Okay, well, a couple of you, right? 60. Right. 64. So what's awesome is then when you hit Spokane, what happens? All right, hit, hit after Pasco. 70. How many of you driving 64 then? What are we doing? 79. 70. 79 we got here. You would not know you were a sinner unless there was a sign. Do you understand? The reason why God put the law in place was not so that you could obey it solely and then have eternal life. Does it help you to have life in, in so that you don't destroy yourself? I would say yes in many ways, wouldn't you? The law of God is perfect. It is good. But does it change your nature? No, actually, Paul says, it, it lets you know, without the law, I did not know I was a sinner. And so that stop sign comes up, or that police officer with the gun is there, and all of a sudden, all the lights are, oh yeah, the law, yeah, the law, the law, the law. Okay, now he's gone, all right, and woo, free to be me, woo, you know, and the, releasing the inner tiger, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're gone, we're going. It gets out of control. And so the law was given because of transgressions. The law was given to restrain sin, but at the same time, it's not only to restrain, but it reveals that we are indeed sinners. And so God's purpose is not to, uh, so the law's purpose is not to change your nature, but to restrain and to reveal it. Now, I know I've had wonderful discussions with people about laws. Oh, just let people, you know, there's too much of this or that. Laws are good in many ways. Laws are great except for the one that says I have to go 20 by a a school. You know, (laughs) in many ways, they're good. Now, laws, what we try to do is we try to legislate righteousness, do we not? We try to say, well, make you conform. And what happens is, what do we do? Create a law, and who obeys the law? The people who are lawful. Who disobeys the law? The people who just want to keep breaking the law, the lawless. But that shifts and changes to each one of us. How many of you have seen a 55-mile-an-hour sign lately? How many of you remember 55-mile-an-hour signs? What happened? Right, because cars got safer, right? No, it's just everybody's breaking the law. Why not change it? Why not change it? God does not change his law based upon our actions. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Do not lie. He doesn't change it. Only in certain circumstances. Do not lie. Do not covet. Do not steal. Do not worship. Obey, you know, obey your parents. Honor your parents. He doesn't change, does he? He has never changed over the years. His law is righteous and it's good. And what it is, is it's a mirror. And we've talked about this and I'm rehitting it because it's very important. It shows us who we are. It's never meant by God for us to obey all those things. And all of a sudden, at the end of our lives, we have a scale. I've obeyed it more than I've disobeyed it. And therefore, I'm right. That is not how salvation comes to a person. That is how a person is saved. 
You cannot be saved by any works, by, okay, uh, by keeping or obeying the law. A person is saved by believing in the promise, by the work that he did for us. And this is what he's getting at. It's no longer a life of laws, but a life by the Spirit, the law of Christ, the law of love ruling us. And that is the life that he's aiming at. And so the law, it, it, it restrains in some ways, but it also reveals that we're sinner. And, and really what Paul says there is, is it points us to Christ. When I look at this thing and so, go, gosh, I did it again. Gosh, I keep breaking these things. I can't, why can't you change? Why can't you conform? You just, you're overwhelmed. And it shows you, you are truly, I am truly broken. I am a sinner through and through. I keep falling back in the circumstance. I keep doing these things. And the law is going, law, 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 law. And you're going, I'm a, I'm a lawbreaker, I'm a lawbreaker, I'm a lawbreaker. And the whole idea is not to just get you to conform to the law. It's to get you to go, help! I can't, I need to be changed. I need to be saved. Oh God, help me. This is the purpose of the law. It's to point us, it's to push us. It's to uh, funnel us, to, to guide us to Jesus, to a Savior. To a Savior. And that is the sweetest thing. That is the best thing. That's what exactly what we need as human beings. So faith in Jesus sets people free from the bondage of our sin nature. It changes the nature of the tiger to where we're able to go free. And by faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit who makes us new and we become heirs of the promises of God. You know, the forgiveness of sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the eternal life that he gives us. We're born again into the eternal family of God, and this is not earned by keeping rules, but is a gift to those who are called who call out in faith to God. And when we receive the promise, we are now sons and daughters of the living God. We're sons and daughters of the living God. We're no longer slaves to sin, slaves to the law. We're no longer under that system. We are now transferred into a new kingdom, new father, new way of doing things, no longer the law. Now we are under grace and we're under the law of the Spirit, which is love. And it is awesome. And not love according to what I want love to be. Not a love what according to Hollywood says, but what the scriptures say love is. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can see it in the life of Jesus. You can see it all over the place. What love, how it actually plays out. And he says uh, in verse 26 of chapter 3, So in Christ Jesus you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Neither is male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's not about being a, 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 a Jew. It's not about being a Gentile. It's not about having your genealogy go back to Abraham. It's have you had been born again into the Spirit of God. You cannot get membership into God's kingdom. So what if you have membership at a church that doesn't do a darn thing for you eternally? Does not save a person? You better have membership. You can only get membership into the kingdom of God one way, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. He paid the price, the admission ticket, and you get to go in by simply saying, thank you. Now he's called us into a body. He's called us to fellowship. But we've got to be careful. And so he says in verse 29, 3, he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You're that kind of descendant. You're not, and you are also heirs to the promises. In, verse, in chapter 4, it continues, and he's going to continue on in this 
in this way of explaining the difference between what it means to be under the law, because he's talking to a people who are going back to the law, and it's important that they realize that. What is that like? And so he's illustrating, drawing pictures out of everyday life. He's trying to get them to wake up to the fact of the reality of what they're jumping back into. It's actually slavery. And so he's going to draw these pictures out. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Man, when you're a child, are you in control of the whole estate? Let's say you're, you're in your father's family. Do you have the uh, ability to call the shots? Do you have the ability to access the accounts? Do you have the ability to tell people what to do? Do you have, are you an administrator? Are you a, are, what authority do you have? You have none. Brush your teeth. Will you please brush your teeth? Your teeth are going to fall out. You forget to brush your teeth. Drink some water. Please drink some water. Go to bed. Go to bed. You're no different than a slave. You're no different than a slave, even though it is all yours. And he says, uh, although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees or schoolmasters, so to speak, until the set time by his father. Notice who decides when they are mature. Is it the child who decides when they're mature or is it the father? The father decides when they will receive the inheritance, not the child. Anybody you have trusts or wills and you see kids, I've heard it all the time, kids are berserk. If I give them all that money, you know, when I die, they will just kill themselves and so therefore I'm going to make it until they're 30 or whatever it might be. You know what I'm saying? Just giving life examples. And so the father decides, and this is speaking to a, a, a culture that understood that. How many of you really had a rite of passage as Americans, let's just say? We could get like 50 rite of passages. When did, when did you become a man? When I drank my first beer, you know? <laughs> you know? When I could vote or when I could do this or that. You know, realize in Jewish culture, how old were they? 12 for girls, 13 for boys. The bar mitzvah and the bar mitzvah. And what that means is that they would become sons of the law, daughters of the law. You would no longer, when they came to that place, there would be an incredible amount of training in the law and the Jewish culture, and they'd get to that place when they were 12 or 13, and it'd be the place, it's no longer just me. You are now accountable to the law of, of Moses to follow it. You're now a man. That's like, that's pretty weighty, isn't it? 12 or 13. Well, in Roman culture, it was even it was, it was a different thing. The, the kids, would, when, when the father would decide they were mature enough, you know, they were usually, who knows, in their teens, sometimes 15 is usually right around the, the age they were saying, the historians were saying. The, um, the kids, the, the daughters would take their dolls and the boys would take their, to- their toys and they would lay them at the uh, altar of Apollo as a sacrifice. And they would no longer pick up those things anymore. Now they become a cadet serve in the military or whatever it might be, and they would now be mature, so to speak. They would now be adopted officially by their father. Weird thing. Now you're part of the family. Now you've received. It's now time, and that's what he's saying uh, Saying here. So also, he says in verse 2 that you were under guardians, you were under trustees until the time set by the father. And these guardians and trustees in Rome... They, Rome conquered everything, and so like Luke, remember Luke? 
he was a doctor, but most likely he was a slave in a person who was wealthy's household. And so a Roman who was wealthy, he would have all of these different uh, people in his house that were gifted in different ways that were slaves, doctors and physicians and cooks or, or whatever it might be. And, see, and, and they would be, off, off, uh, the uh, Roman kids or whoever it might be would just go ahead and they would play with these slave kids and they would just be the same. They'd all be under the same type of leadership. The slaves would tell the, the Roman kids what to do. They'd be brought up under the tutelage, and so to speak. And so that's that idea there that he's pulling out. It's, it's a cultural one until the time set by the Father. So also when we were children, and I believe he's speaking to Jews here, when we were children, we were in slavery. We were under the law and uh, under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the time had fully come, God has a plan. You know, when you look at it just from a, 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 just a historical perspective, from an earthly perspective, not even from a heavenly perspective, is just looking at, look at the way the world was when Jesus came. All the uh, 300 years before Christ came, um, Alexander the Great came and conquered the known world, and so all of a sudden the whole world spoke Greek. The whole world spoke Greek. If you want to communicate a message, it's really good to have the same language happening, isn't it? The world spoke Greek. Rome came in, conquered Greece. You had Pax Romana, right? The Roman peace, so to speak. And what happened through all the land? Roads. Roads. You had a way to travel everywhere. And they had Roman guards on the roads. What else? Three continents connecting in one place. So just from a a temporal perspective that things had lined up. Spiritually, it was time. They were ready. We could spend a lot of time on that. But when he was ready, God sent his son, born of a woman. He was not an alien. He was born of a woman. He connected with us. He was a daughter of woman, not a son of woman. He was born under the law. He was a Jew. To redeem those under the law, what does redeem mean? Remember, it's to buy back. So God sent Jesus to buy back those under the law, those who were, had a horrible sin nature, who knew that they were sinners, all those things, we all fall into that, that we might receive. Why did God do this? That we might receive the full rights as sons, that you'd no longer be slaves. You'd no longer have a legal relationship with God of do's and don'ts and, and keeping this festival, not keeping this festival, and then God will. No, it's no longer that. You are now What? Sons and daughters of God. What does that look like? It says in the next verse that we might receive the full rights of sons. Verse 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. We no longer have a legal relationship with God in Jesus Christ. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters and, and his spirit is now in us and we can cry out Abba, Father. We can go right to the throne room. How awesome is that? So you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And since you are sons, God has made you also an heir. Do you know that as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, of that promise that he gave to Abraham, so by faith we are also a part of that promise? What we inherit? The forgiveness of sins? 
the Spirit of God that will never depart from us, eternal life, and all the other things He's given us. Read Ephesians. What we inherit, what is ours by right, because we are His sons, His daughters, because of what Jesus did. And He goes on, formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Now, I think he's speaking to the Gentiles here, and I think he's talking about their idolatry. Listen, when you didn't know God, remember back there you were approaching those gods through a legal system? Do you remember that? When you were offering sacrifices and you were killing your kids and you were doing all these things? But now you know God, or are rather known by God. How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? How is it the same way you worship demons? Because First Corinthians talks about that, that it's actually when you offer these, when these food, these, the food is out, uh, you offered to idols, it's not actually idols, it's demons behind them that are drawing this out. How is it, what's the difference between that and going back under the law? You're approaching God through a legal system. And the enemy can use the law of God, this is weird, in a legal way as a deterrent from grace. You have to keep all these things, the Jesus and, and then you will be saved. That is not the gospel, and that's what Paul's getting at here. You were under a system that was legal, You left it for grace. Now you're going back under a legal system. What's the difference? That's the point he's getting at. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And this is how he's explaining how you're going back under those evil things. He says you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. You're going back under the Jewish system. You're observing those special days. You're observing those special seasons. You're observing those special years. You're doing the feasts. You're doing the sacrifices. You're going back to all these things. Why are you doing that? And their motive for observing those things was so that they could be right with God. Correct? And what does he say? He says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. Paul was a Jew. And he came to these pagans, and, who, and he preached the gospel to them. They changed. Did Paul make them conform to Judaism? No, he became like them. He ate their food. He hung out with them. He observed their cultural things. He was a part of them. He says... Hey, we switched places. Come back. I became like you, preached the gospel to you. You were conformed. Now you left. Come back. Come back. Come back to grace. Come back. As you know, and now he's going to recall how he came to them. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Don't let your physical problems keep you from preaching the gospel. If it wasn't for his physical problem here, which we'll probably find, some people think was malaria. He was not able to, that was the reason, that was the catalyst that he was even in their presence somehow. It doesn't give all the details. How many of you are hurting today, this morning? 
You think God might want to use that opportunity, that weakness in your life to put you in front of people that you might not be in front of that need to hear Jesus? As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, even though my illness was a trial to you, was a burden to you. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? When you start to have a legal relationship with Jesus Christ, the do's and don'ts list, you start to lose your joy. Because your joy is based upon what you do and not do, not upon what he has done for you. And there's a lot of miserable Christians. Have you ever seen any? Do you know any? Are you any? I am sometimes. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes so, and given them to me. If something was wrong with Paul's eyes, it would affect him for the rest of his life. It says, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? You remember that relationship we have? Remember how you came to the Lord? Remember how we had the fellowship we had that you came to the gospel? What's changed? You have. You switched. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous. The people are coming in and preaching this false gospel, this Jesus and stuff. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. And this is what the legalist does. He wants you to draw you to them. He wants to draw you away from them so that you will be happy to be around me. We see this in many of the cults, like Jehovah's Witnesses. They pull you away. They isolate you from your family. They cut you off from anybody you've ever known. And all of a sudden, you're just isolated, and now you're zealous for them. It happens. It can happen in, in legal sex of the church. He says, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. It's good to have zeal, and to be so always, and not just when I'm with you. My dear children from whom I again in the pains of childbirth. In other words, I'm, I'm trying to bring Christ in you again. I'm struggling to relay the gospel to you once again uh, until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. I am really upset. And then we'll have to come back again. He's going to say, tell me, who you, uh, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? And then he talks about Abraham and how he had two sons, one by Hagar, who was a slave, who was from Saudi Arabia or Egypt or something like that. And then eventually uh, they had a son, Ishmael. And then you had another son, the son of promise, Isaac, and how the son Ishmael persecuted the one from Isaac. And he's going to draw the conclusion, hey, if I were still preaching the law, if I was still a slave, I'd be the one persecuting you. I'm getting persecuted. I'm on the righteous side. I'm the son of promise. Where are you guys going? And so that's what he's going he's gonna to point there. So this morning, we, we're going to close. And next week, we'll shift gears for Christmas. Um, but I want everyone in here to know how important it is that if you've been under a legal system, if you've been under a law system, the point of the law of Jesus Christ, I mean, the point of the law of God, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, is to show you, to show me that our nature is 
going to destroy. It's headed towards destruction. And the life that we live should be a life of grace, a life filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, a life of love. And if that's not what marks your life this morning, the law would point you to surrender. Lord God, help me today. I'm stuck. I keep doing this over and over. I'm a perpetual liar. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm, I'm all these things. And it's to drive you into the arms of Christ because God says that those people who live that way, those people who are idolaters, those people who are sexually immoral or sleeping with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you're outside of marriage, you guys who are, are murderers, you're uh, looking at people, you're watching pornography, all the stuff, all the things that are going on in our culture. I can go on the list, and you like the law. And everybody's going, oh, well, that, maybe that's me, maybe that's not me. And the sign's up, and I go, well, I was, was going 68 and it's 60. Yeah. God says, those people have no part in eternal life. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many of you are innocent? And that's the point. We're all guilty before God. And it's because of his love that he sent the law to show us we need a new nature. We need to be saved from who we are and where we're going. And so he sent his son to live like us under the law, yet without sin. Half God, half man. Fully God, fully God, fully man is really the more biblical thing. He did what we could not do. He took our place on the cross. The punishment that was due me, that was due you, he said, I will take it. And he was nailed to the cross by his own creation. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. The wrath that was due you, the wrath that was due me for the sins and for the very nature we have was poured out upon him. And he took it all and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the separation from God that we deserve. And the wrath of God in him was satisfied. And he died. But he rose again on the third day. No one else rose again on the third day. He was the first. Right? All the people before that rose again, they died again. He was the first to raise eternal, never to die again. And he ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us daily and, and the, tr- the, the truth of the gospel the promise of the gospel is that if you simply say I believe that what you did paid for my sins I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins then what God does is he forgives you of those sins he gives Jesus' righteousness to your heart the wrath that you deserve is put on the cross and now you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you become a new creation from the inside out. And you're no longer under the law because the law's purpose was to bring you to that point of saying, God, save me. And now that you are saved, you are no longer under the law. You're now under the Spirit. You have Jesus' Spirit in you. What does that look like? We're going to watch Jesus. We're going to watch what he does, what he says, and we're going to observe him. We're going to be people of prayer. He's just going to change us from the inside out, and all of a sudden you see, man, I just am being changed from the inside out. Those things that I used to do, I just don't do them, not because of 
a law, but because of a relationship. A relationship, and he just changes you from the inside out. All of a sudden, the cuss words start to go away. The desire for the, you know, to go and hanging out in places we shouldn't just goes away. And all those types of things just start to roll away. And it, how many of you know that it's a lifelong process? Yeah, it's called sanctification. He's, you are a son. You are a daughter of Christ when you've received the Lord. And now he is training you in what that looks like. And you're growing up in him. And these things change as you are just walking in grace. And you can run on your dad's lap. Oh, Lord, God, I'm, I'm, I'm caught again. Help. It's like, all right, let's go. What a beautiful thing. Lord, I don't have any resources. Dad, what do I do? Lord, my body's hurting. What do I do? What a relationship. You can just run to your father. Receive that. So this morning, if you've never called out and said, God, forgive me, the Holy Spirit right now is pulling on your heart and you're feeling awkward. That's the law. That's the Spirit work in there to point you to Jesus and just to surrender and say, oh, God, forgive me. If that's you this morning, I want you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and just call out to him and ask him to forgive you. So let's bow our heads. And if that's at work in your heart right now, I want you to raise your hand. Just pop it up, pop it down. God bless you. Anyone else? God's calling us to surrender so that we would have life. Jesus said, unless a grain of of wheat falls into the ground and dies, nothing comes up. He says, if you want to gain life, you have to lose life. You have to let it go. You have to surrender. When you surrender, your whole life is born again and you are now a new creation. Anyone else? Lord, we just thank you so much for the things that you are doing in this church and for the people who raised their hand uh, and the people who are raising them in their hearts. (laughs) Lord, you are calling them to a deep, profound walk with you, a sonship, a daughtership, Lord. So Lord, would your spirit do what you said you would do, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. And I pray that they would be bold and take the next step and cry out and say, uh, hey, I've received Jesus. Father, for the rest of us who have been walking uh, with you, I pray that you would awaken our hearts to what it is to walk in the Spirit, to be sons and daughters of the Spirit. And that sounds kind of weird and scary, but Lord, you've given us your word to guide us You've given us your son. You've given us this church. So, Lord, let us grow in grace together. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for today. Bless this church as we go out and be salt and light in the holiday season. May your son, Jesus Christ, be lifted up like a star on the top of a Christmas tree. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.